Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Would you welcome Randy Carter? Good morning. Wow, it's good to be here. And it's been a while. And uh, Nancy and I have been traveling, and the Lord's been doing some great things. And uh, thank you for your gift last fall to help us in Tanzania. You helped build a church planning school. The church planning school would train about, uh, there's two semesters, three semesters a year, and uh, trains about 60 pastors who go out and start brand new churches. So this morning, in, well, well, it's already over now because they're ahead of us, but this, uh, today there were 60 new churches in Tanzania because of, partly because of your faithfulness. Thank you for that. This year we're focusing on Burkina Faso, and uh, we just returned from there, Sam Johnson and I. It's, I want to, people say, what's it like? I go, it's hot, 105 every day. It's dirty. It's the dirtiest place I've ever been. It's dusty and uh, just nat- nothing in the natural would attract you there until you meet the people. And the people are amazing, and they have a heart to reach the nation. 22.5 million people in that nation, 67% Muslim, 23% Christian, 10% animism, and some other African uh, 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 religions. But yet those 23% Christians are doing everything they can. There's a war between Islam and Christianity, and they're doing everything they can. And uh, one of the Bible schools, we support six Bible schools there, and one of them last fall had 2,400 applicants called, trained, uh, called people willing to go and be trained, but we could only accept 100 because of space. And so we've partnered with them, and uh, we're doing everything we can to provide more dorm space. Was just in the mountains this week with a group of 20, maybe 25 pastors, and uh, those pastors pledged to build 100 new dorm rooms in the next 90 days. So we're thank God for that. Thank you for helping us with that. Glad to have my wife with me, and uh, glad to have my nurse with me. So I had a, uh, a heart situation last fall, had a stent, had to go to cardiac rehab. And I met the sweetest, kindest person, a bunch of them. They were all sweet and kind. I think this is Judy. I don't really know because I don't recognize her without a mask. Her eyes look like Judy, so I think this is her. I went and hugged her, so I hope I, I hope I was hugging the right one. But thanks for coming, Judy. Hey, today we want to talk about defining moments. Defining moments. Moments that define your life and your year. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah's death marked that year. Have you ever had a defining moment? Let me ask you this. I don't know if any, I don't think anybody here was alive during this time, but remember December 7th, 1941, a moment that changed the world when Pearl Harbor was bombed by the Japanese. Some of you may remember this. I do. I was in sixth grade. November 22nd, 1963, 
the day Kennedy was shot. April 4th, 1968, the 60s were bad. And that was the year Martin Luther King was shot, and it changed the course of history. Rick and Susan, what was the day? Do you remember the day you had the accident? September 22nd. What year? 2003 at 1030. 2003 at 1030, and it defined them, changed the course of their life. I met them at the hospital about noon, and uh, they kept saying, get out of here, you can't be here. And I go, I'm not leaving until I see my friends. But it changed their life. Have you ever had a defining moment? February 25th, 1983 was a defining moment for us. We got married. Aww. Changed my life for the better. Got to go home with her here in a few minutes. It was so much better. Thank God. A few months later, we started Dayspring Assembly planted that church, went to Bowling Green, Ohio, where there was no Assembly of God church. This year, we'll celebrate 40 years anniversary of that church to change our life. A defining moment is a life event, good or bad, that changes the course and direction of our lives. In the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah had been a king for a long time. He started reigning over Jerusalem, over, over the people of God at 16 years old, and he reigned for the next 52 years. As a king, he was a great king, but he didn't finish well. He defended Judah against the Philistines, the Ammonites, the uh, Arbanians. He also led the people of God in a spiritual re reform, but he had never completely abolished um, the cults, and at the end of his life, he was crippled with leprosy, which brings us to the time that Uzziah died. Time this was a time that changed the nation of God. This was a time of uncertainty and sorrow. Uzziah's death was an emotional, overwhelming experience that changed everybody that was part of that time. Maybe you're in the midst. In fact, I believe that some of you, maybe many of us, are in defining moments even at the time we speak this morning. Maybe it's something in your marriage. Maybe it's something in your career. Maybe it's something with your kids. Maybe it's an economic thing. It's a defining moment. Defining moments are a part of life. Moses had a defining moment at the burning bush. David uh, had a defining moment when he heard Goliath challenging the, the people of God. Saul in the New Testament had a defining moment on the road to Damascus. Let me share some truths with you this morning about defining moments. And the first truth is this. You don't get to choose when or how defining moments will present themselves. I hate that. Don't you hate that? Yes. When you like to say to the Lord, Lord, this was not a good year to be a defining moment. It's just not a good time. We don't get to choose how or when defining moments present themselves, but we do get to choose how, how they will define us. Let me say that again, because I don't think you caught it. We don't get to choose how or when they define us, but we do get to choose how they define us. Will they make you bitter or better? Will you mourn the passing of one season or rejoice at the beginning of a new season? You know what? I, I see some pastors my age. I'm 70 years old, and, and uh, I see pastors my age, and some of them refuse to let go of their pastorates because they don't know what's next. And they're afraid. They know what's, what, what it is to be a pastor. It was hard for me three years ago to walk away from a church we had pastored 26 years. 
But yet, I knew that God had something ahead of us. And it wasn't until we were willing to let go of the last season that we could grasp hold of this season. We have to answer the question in defining moments. Will they lead to doubt and frustration or to joy and celebration? You didn't choose this time. And here's the sad thing. Many times we didn't even see it coming. Have you ever been blindsided by a defining moment? Something that just came out of nowhere and slapped you upside the head? Here's the question. Will you let it draw you closer to God or allow you allow it to cause you to drift away? Will you keep your eyes on who you are who and what you are losing or look to God to see who he is sending? See, they had their eyes on Uzziah because he had been a king that they looked to. But God had something new for them and they had to get their eyes off that. The second truth is this. God's purposes for our defining moments become clear in his presence. Have you ever been in a time when you just didn't understand? You're going, Lord, what's going on? Why are we going through this? COVID was a defining moment for all of us. We, we retired thinking we were going to Europe to spend two months in the Canary Islands filling in. Hey, we were willing to go to the Canary Islands for, for two months, you know? I mean, we were going to go to Brussels after that for two months. Hey, land of chocolate. We were willing to go. You know what I'm saying? But then COVID hit. It smacked us upside the head. Shut our country down. Shut the world down. And we have to, you know, we tried to figure out. I, I honestly couldn't, couldn't understand why God let that happen. You find the answer in his presence. Listen to this scripture. Isaiah 6, 1 again through verse 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So important. What are, your, what are you seeing in your defining moment? Isaiah saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You find the purpose of God for your defining moment in the presence of God. God's presence brings focus to what it is he's trying to say to you. Here's the problem. We want to put our eyes on the thing that's, that we think is the defining moment instead of on the one that's going to take us through, that's going to actually define the moment and take us through the moment. God wanted Isaiah, listen to this, God wanted Isaiah to take his eyes off the king, Uzziah, so that he could see the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You can't see both at the same time. And it's our human nature to look at natural things as our source instead of looking to the supernatural. God had used Uzziah as a conduit to bring his favor and blessings to his people. But Uzziah was not the source. He was just a conduit through which God flowed. Uzziah was only a delivery boy. It's our tendency to be like the children of Israel and to want a king instead of being happy with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When we were sharing with the church at the beginning of 2019, the end of January, we shared with our church that we would be resigning and retiring and moving to Knoxville at the end of the year. And some of the people got upset. They said, well, you've been our pastor. Some of them, 
I'd been their pastor their whole life. I dedicated them as babies. I baptized them in water. I, I performed their marriage. I dedicated their children. And they were looking to us, and they said, but you're, you're the only pastor. I go, no, I'm a pastor, but God has the right pastor for the new season. But you can't find what God has next when you're holding on to what God had last. Oh, that's good. I'm going to say that again. You can't find what God has next when you're holding on and focused on what God had last. Let this defining moment focus your eyes on Jesus, not on people. People are not your source. God is your source. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Everybody say those words with me. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, uh, of the throne of God. Let this defining moment fix your eyes on Jesus. Quit looking to people. Quit. Now, I know it's easier for me to say that than it is to actually do it when I'm in a defining moment. But that's what God wants. Another truth is this. Defining moments show us who God is. In the midst of defining moments are when you're going to really come to grips with who God is. I already read it. Let me read it one more time. In the year that King Uzziah died, that defining moment, I saw the Lord. And what did he see? He saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Those verses, that verse tells us the first thing we need to know about God, and it's this. God is in control. In the midst of your defining moment, where is God? He's seated on the throne. Notice that he's not sitting on the edge of his chair. He's not standing up, wringing his hands, walking around in despair. He's seated. Why is he seated? Because he's in control. Because he knows what he knows not only the defining moment and what you're going through now, he knows the results of the defining moment. And what he sees is good. Someone mentioned it, this young lady here mentioned it when she was sharing at the, after that last song. Her favorite verse is Romans 8, 28. I've never heard anybody say that when they were going through a defining moment. For, for God makes all things, for we know that God makes all things work together, fit into a pattern, one translation says, for good. As she said, God doesn't make all things good, but he makes them fit into a pattern for good. But the only people that ever quote that verse are the ones who just came through a defining moment. When you're going through it, you don't like it. <laughs> you know, have you ever had somebody come up to you when you're going through stuff? You know what I'm talking about? Just going through a hard time and they, they, they pull out Romans 8, 28 and they always do it with a little nasal twang. And we know that all things work together for good. Holy, holy am I. You know, it's true. We know it but we forget it. But God wants us to be reminded today he's in control. Nancy and I, we're real excited about it. We'll be going back to Bowling Green, Ohio in July for the 40th anniversary of the start of that church. And uh, never forget the Saturday night. We started July 10th, 1983, had our first service. And on July 9th, we're sitting in our little apartment. We've just been married a couple of months now. So it's just Nancy and I, and she looks at me and she says, how many people do you think you'd be there, will be there tomorrow? I don't know. 
because it's the first Sunday of a brand new church. So I looked at her and said, I don't know, it may just be you and me, but I can promise you this, you're going to get the best sermon you've ever heard. And, uh, and she got saved that next morning. So thank God for that, you know. It's good for the pastor's wife to be saved, isn't it? I mean, so what can I say? Oh, I forgot. I got to go home with her afterwards. All right, we'll do, we'll do this. But while we were at that church, we were at the, end of, <laughs> at the end of our first year. In fact, on our first anniversary, February 25th, 1984, had another defining moment. I was in the hospital. She was six months pregnant. I was sick. They thought I had Hodgkin's disease. I had erythema nodosum, which just means red knots. My legs looked like somebody had scalded them. I was in the hospital 10 days, home two weeks, back in 10 days. And, I, you know, I actually got hurt so bad I prayed that I could die. How many glad God doesn't answer all your prayers? You know what I'm saying? But it was one of those times when during that time, during that two weeks when I was home, we had a lady in the lady from the church in the hospital, and she was sick. She had a large tumor. The doctor, I've never seen this before. The doctor is part of our church, and he actually brought the tumor out that we so we could see it filled up a, a dishpan about this size. And uh, but when when I was at the hospital, I was still sick, and so I mean I was in pain. So I sat there with them, uh, with her friend. And, but I fell asleep. I didn't fall asleep because I wasn't concerned. I fell asleep because I had complete confidence that the Lord was going to take care of her and me. But this lady, she, the friend, she goes out and she starts bad-mouthing me to all the church. He fell asleep. She's in the surgery. He fell asleep. Oh, yeah, well, I'm about to die myself, woman. And... Uh, <laughs> I love the story in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. It says this, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, have you ever said this? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, a storm's there, and it must have been quite the storm because these were fishermen. They knew how to handle storms, but they're afraid they're going to die, and they go to Jesus and say, don't you care? Here's what I wrote down. Jesus wasn't sleeping because he was not concerned. Jesus wasn't sleeping because he was not concerned. He was sleeping because he was in control. He was in control. And what you need to understand today is that no matter how awful the defining moment may seem, God's in control. I remember when our first baby was born, six months after that hospital experience. By the way, I did live, thank God. You may not tell it, but I did. And six months later, our first baby is born, and, and Dr. Dave, is he's from our church. Great, great guys with the Lord now. But, but um, the first baby came out, I mean, popped out. She's screaming before she even gets all the way out of the birth canal. I mean, she's healthy. She, everything's perfect. Prettiest baby ever born. And, and, uh, and I, so by now, I'm thinking, I'm, I understand what it is the whole birthing system is all about. So 20 months later, when we had our second one, Krista, she comes out and she doesn't, there's not a peep. And I look at her and she looks like a Smurf. She's all blue. And I start to panic. They take her 
And they, did, they didn't do this with Jamie. They, they take Krista and they take her over to another part and they're massaging her and they're giving her shots. That, and I'm scared. And I go, Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord spoke something to me. He said, look at, look at Dr. Dave. And so I looked down to Dr. Dave and he's sewing Nancy up. And here's what the Lord said. If he shows concern, you get concerned. Because he's delivered thousands of babies. He never got concerned. Why? Because he knew that Krista was going to be okay. And when you know the end result, you don't have to worry that everything that could go wrong is going to go wrong because you know the end result. When you're going through your defining moment, if you keep your eyes on the Lord, you may not know how it's going to end. You probably don't know when it's going to end, but you do know this. In the end, God's going to come out on top because he's done it all throughout scripture. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord during the defining moments, and if we do, we can be at peace during the process and not, how many of you have ever said something like this when you're going through a defining moment? Well, I know when I get through this, I'm gonna laugh. Anybody ever say that? Well, if you know that you're gonna laugh, why not laugh now? Why be so miserable now and making everybody around you so miserable? Why don't you just begin to rejoice in what you have the confidence of? And this is the confidence we have in him, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ. So first of all, during the defining moments, we see who God is. First of all, we see that he's in control. Second, we see that he's holy. And they were calling to one another, verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I love, I love the hymn. One of my favorite hymns is Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Because it reflects, it reminds us of who God is. And in his holiness, his holiness reminds us that he is righteous and that he is good and that everything he does flows out of that righteousness and out of that goodness and out of his holiness. And because of that, we can trust that God will bring good out of what we're doing today. Going back to the verse, Romans 8, 28, we know this, that God makes everything fit into a pattern for good. I use the illustration, uh, I like to make chocolate chip cookies. I like cookies. Nancy doesn't like to make them, so I learned to make them. And they're pretty good. I've taken some to the staff at UT before. But you think about a chocolate chip cookie. What do you start with? For me, I crack the eggs. And I look at those raw eggs floating on the bottom of that bowl, and I go, mmm, mmm, mm. I think I'll just eat the raw. No, how many of you know I don't do that? <laughs> raw eggs are for athletes that are dumb. <laughs> All right? And then you put in what? Butter. And you look at the butter. Now, we, I have a niece, Carter, who's skinny as can be, and she loves to just eat butter. Can't believe her parent, her mom's a nurse practitioner. You think she'd know better, but, but I've never, I love butter on a hot biscuit. Oh, yeah. But butter, no way. I'm not going to eat that. And then you put in the sugar. Sugar is good. It's sweet. But you ever just want to get into the bag of white sugar and start taking a spoon and eating it? No, it'll turn your teeth on edge. 
but you put the butter and the sugar, the white sugar, the brown sugar, you put it all together, a little vanilla in there, stir it up, you add a little flour, you add a little oatmeal, oh, you mix it all up, then I can eat it. Then I add the chocolate chips. I, I use milk chocolate chips and white chocolate chips, throw a little uh, walnut in there, and I want to tell you the end result is good. All those things by themselves were not good. But when they all were mixed up, God used them for good. How many understand what I'm saying? And God will show you his goodness in the midst of your defining moment. But not only does defi- do defining moments show us who God is, defining moments show us who we are. It show us who we are. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Defining moments show us who we are. And if I look at these verses, I think three words define who we are. Sinful, needful, but if you keep reading, hopeful. Sinful and needful, but hopeful. The closer we are to the presence of God, the more we recognize our need to him. See, I don't mind. You ever been around, you ever wonder why people stop coming to church? There's many reasons, but sometimes it's because they're doing things they know they shouldn't be doing. And they don't, they don't mind being in the presence of people because we could always find somebody that we're better than if we want to act in comparison. But we, when we get into the sweet presence of God like we were during the worship today, like we are even now, God's holiness reveals our sinfulness. And we feel guilty. But God doesn't allow that to happen so that we'll feel bad, so that we'll walk out feeling hopeless, so that we'll walk out in despair. God does that to point us to someone that is greater than ourselves. In God's holiness, we see our lowliness, but we also we also see his righteousness and we see his goodness. Unfortunately, you ever notice how quickly self can rear its ugly head in times of defining moments? How many of you have ever had a defining moment that you thought when you went into it, you thought, man, I think I can handle this. But the deeper you got in, the more you realize I'm a mess and I don't have what it takes to get me through this. That's what leaves us hopeless. But in God's presence, we find hope because God sees our need. And what does he do? He doesn't belittle us for our need. He doesn't condemn us for our need. He meets our need. Look at verses six and seven again. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What did Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What is God's response? He takes a coal off the altars of heaven. Where does he place that coal? On the very thing Isaiah recognized he was guilty in, on his lips. Why did he do that? To purify those lips, to bring forgiveness, to bring wholeness. In the midst of your defining moment, God's grace 
will not only show you what you need in your life, but it will meet that need in your life. When you need grace, when Rick and Susan went through that in 2000, what'd you say it was, two, three? In 2003, we were there. We, we walked with them through it. And we saw an incredible amount of grace poured out on their life. An incredible amount of favor poured out on their life. They wouldn't be here. Susan would not. We, we later, the, the uh, guy that was the um, uh intern physician in the emergency room the time she was brought in, ended up moving to Jackson and became part of our church. And one time they were at our house and we were talking about that night. And Kent said, uh, Trent, I always call him Kent. Trent said, we didn't even clean her up because we knew she had no chance of making it. But guess what? Here it is 20 years later and she made it. Because God gave them what they didn't have in their own selves. They didn't have the strength. They didn't have that. But in the defining moment, God increased what they lacked, gave him more of themselves, and look at this incredible testimony of God's faithfulness. I'm telling you, every time I see them, I just want to break out in tears, partly because of looking at Rick, but because I love them so, I love them so very deeply. But not only... Not only do defining moments reveal God, who God is, he's in charge and he's holy. Not only do defining moments reveal our need, but defining moments, if you'll follow it through, reveal our calling, reveal our purpose. I'd never heard that last song you guys sung, Honey in the Rock. I like that. Now, here's the problem. I don't remember the words except Honey in a Rock. And so for the next three weeks, every time Nancy and I get in the car, she'll be hearing me sing, there's honey in the rock. There's honey in the rock. Because I, I, I was just, and she probably already memorized. But, but there, I do remember that one line, there's purpose in his plan. Is that what it was? Something like that. Is that what it, there's purpose in his plan? And there's always a purpose. And the ultimate purpose is God wants to take you through this defining moment to not only show you yourself and show you that your need of him, but he also wants to show you what his calling on your life is. What you're, look at this. Look at this, Isaiah chapter six, verse eight. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send somebody else. No, that's the American answer, isn't it? I heard, let me read it again. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah got into the presence of the Lord and God revealed himself to him. God revealed who Isaiah truly was and touched him and finally he reveals his callings. I, just, I, I love this. Isaiah's defining moment began with a woe and ended with a go. You hear that? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But then God touched him. Isaiah's moment began with a woe, but it ended with a go. Who will go? Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And God wants his purpose for your life to be revealed during this moment. The tendency will be to focus on ourselves, but God has a purpose bigger than ourselves. 
and whatever it is that you're going through now, God will use that when you come out on the other side. God will use you to help people that are going through that same defining moment in their lives. Isn't isn't that incredible? God will use you. He'll show you. The Bible says in Isaiah, Isaiah later on goes, comfort, comfort others with the same comfort you've received. And there have been things that I've got that I went through as a pastor over the last thousand years, you know. And uh, and when I see young pastors struggling, I can say to them, been there, done that, here's what God taught me. Here's how I learned. And I'm and I'm always honest. I, I, don't you hate guys that come through it and forget how they came through it? You know, guys that just tell you the end result. They don't tell the struggle. They don't tell how they almost gave up. They don't tell how they how hard it was. I appreciate guys that are honest and say, you know what, I was in what, what you're going through right now. And it was hard. And there were times I wanted to quit. But I didn't because God's grace gave me favor and, and gave me the ability to go on. And because of that, I'm here now and can tell you this. What God did for me, God can do for you. So what are you going through right now? What defining moment, what defines the moment that you find yourself in? Don't let your focus be simply on the things you're going through. Let it be on the one that you're going to, the one that is going to bring you through and the one that is going to turn your pain into something that will become a blessing to you and to others through the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray today, Lord, that you would help us as we go through defining moments. It's, it's easy to quote Romans 8, 28 when we're not going through junk. But when we're going through the junk, it's hard, Lord. And today I, I acknowledge, Lord, over the years of ministry, you've let us go through some things because you wanted to define us, you wanted to mature us, you wanted to grow us. And Lord, sometimes we've been okay with it and sometimes we fought your plan. But Lord, you were always faithful. You were always who you are, holy, holy, and holy. And God, I thank you that now I can look back at the end of our life and end of our ministry and say, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. Father, I pray for those that are going through tough times right now. Can we just, can we just moment for, for a moment with our heads bowed and eyes closed, can I just ask, is there anyone here going through a defining moment? Maybe you haven't called it that, but now you realize that's what it is. Maybe you're going through a period of pain, something that's difficult, and you, you need God's help during that. Would you just slip your hand up? There's several around. Anyone else, just say, I, I just want prayer. I just want prayer. Father, you see each and every one of these hands. And Lord God, you know, I don't know their names, but you do, Lord. You know us so well that you said even, you know even the very hairs of our head are numbered. That's how intimate you are with each and every one of us. And God, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that you don't notice. And Lord, how much more valuable are these that sit here today your people, you allowed your son to die on a cross so that each and every one of us, Lord, could have forgiveness. And God, we can't help but remember what Paul said. And if God, who didn't even spare a son, if he cared that much for us that he didn't spare a son, 
how much more will he freely give us the Holy Spirit? Will he freely give us what we need to bring us through? So I pray, Lord, that when we walk out these doors today and we face that defining moment head on, that we'll do so with the assurance that you're with us and with the assurance, Lord, that you're, you're, you're not just passively watching, you're actively involved, Lord. You've already sent the angel to the altars of heaven with his tongs to take the coal and to apply it to wherever we need it in our lives, Lord. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for that. I thank you for Rick and Susan. What a blessing, Lord God, to have a testimony sitting here on the second row of how you turn defining moments into truly good defining moments, moments of grace, moments of overcoming. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you. You know, as you were preaching that verse that Paul said came to mind about forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward to what's ahead, whenever you're going through those moments, man, it's, you, we can't we can't go forward and hang on to the past at the same time. We've got to go through some things, right? But man, God's working with us. We're working with Him, and He's taking us to a good place. Amen. Did you appreciate the message today? Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor. I, I remember when they, when I first met them, they came here with Rick and Susan, and uh, and uh, we got to go out to eat, and you were telling us about all these things that you're maybe going to do in Europe, but then the whole country closed down. Uh, but thank God they didn't hang on to what they were hanging on to before. They came here. Sometimes it's almost the Abraham experience, isn't it? You step out into a land, I will show you. I'll show you when you get there. <laughs> But man, what he's doing now is, is something that's beyond what you imagine, right? So praise God. Praise God. So, oh, I'm excited. Excited. Uh, one thing I would like to do, if you guys would stay with me for a second, is uh, we're sending our youth to youth camp this week. And come on, come on, let's hear it for youth camp. All right. So if I could get anybody who happens to be in the service who's going to camp to come forward, including Tara. Uh, thank God for Tara. Come on, let's hear it for Tara who labors tirelessly. And yeah, and Tara will make them come. Come on, come on, because I told them to come and they ignored me and they sat there, but Tara will make them come. And uh, come on up here, guys. Come on, Rain Kim and uh, oh, Rick and oh, Pastor Randy, you don't mind. Come up here. Let's just a couple of guys uh, and let's lay hands on them and, um, and uh, just bless their trip, pray for safety. Can we do that? Father God, we just thank you for, for uh, the heart of the... Tara and the young people in this church, we thank you for what you're doing, Lord. We thank you that you have great purposes and calls and plans on their lives, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity for them to go to the youth uh, uh, convention, to the camp, Lord. We pray that there will be encounters with you, with your spirit, Lord, that will not leave them the same, that that will will birth in them dreams and visions and things that you would like to them to do, purposes that you have for them as they go. Father God, this is a, a amazing time. We pray for safety, Lord, as they travel, as they go to and fro, safety as they're at the camp, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's hear it for you. Well, praise God. Well, we love y'all. Yeah, we love you. It's a great, great, great day today. Great day. Thank you, Pastor Randy. Thank you, everybody. For come on, it's not any one man's thing, is it? It's 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 this, you all bring the Spirit of God with you, and and I love just uh, uh, 
uh, being in the presence of God together with his people. So with that, let me just dismiss in prayer. And we'll see you uh, Wednesday night uh, or next Sunday, whatever the case may be for you. Father God, we love you. We just thank you for this. Oh, God, I just thank you for Emmanuel. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the hearts of the people here. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for your continued blessing on us, knowing that you will watch over us and keep us and bring us back together again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.